Good morning, everybody. How's everybody today? Yeah, yeah, he had 70 degree weather. Come on. Good to be together today. Good to be together here at Greater Alton. Again, my name's Tim. You don't know who I am, and I'm, I'm filling in today. So good to have you. Um, <laughs> good to be together today. Uh, we're in the churches of Revelation. We've been looking at the churches in Revelation. And um, right now we're looking at a, another church that's in this, this uh, ancient Roman mail route, so to speak. You know, if you've got a map up here, we're going to try to map this. this I think the map's going to work today, by the way. But you see Patmos there. There's where John was. And John, um, from the Isle of Patmos, was banished there. And during that time, he began to write. He had a vision from God the book of Revelation, and it was a letter, uh, a vision for the seven churches in Asia Minor. And the letters, the, the order of the churches happened to be the same order of the mailing route. First you had Ephesus, the next, the next church, of course, was Smyrna, and then Pergamum. Then you had Thyatira, we talked about last week. Then you have the next church today we're going to talk about is Sardis. And this is just a regular mailing route. And after Sardis, the next, the next church was Philadelphia. Next week we're going to be looking at Philadelphia. And then, of course, it, we wrapped it up with Laodicea, the lukewarm church. And today we're talking about a church that, um, well, it, it claims they think they're alive, but they're really dead. And uh, one of the things I thought was interesting about looking at these churches here, I've had people ask, what do you think the churches represent, Tim? Well, there's some believe that the churches represent the seven phases of the church uh, in history or uh, as it's on the earth. I don't buy that. I think the evidence is terribly weak um, to make that kind of conclusion. Uh, are they real churches? Yes, they are real churches. And, uh, but, they, but we can learn from these churches a little bit about what church ought to be by listening to Jesus talk about what He likes and doesn't like, what He wants and doesn't want. We can figure out this is the kind of church God wants. So it's good for us as a church to look at this. But also I believe, though, when somebody asked me this, they said, uh, someone last week said, do you think this, th- these churches really reflect the kind of Christians people can be? And I say absolutely yes. And so it's not just learning what kind of church we want or what kind of church God wants, but also what kind of Christian does God want in these churches? What kind of believer does He want? And I, and I want you to know, guys, the kind of church... The kind of church we're going to be is going to depend on the kind of Christian you're going to be and I'm going to be. And so as we look at these, as we look at these churches here in Asia, let's learn something here. Now, there's a lot of information about church growth right now. Man, you can find tons of information on the Internet. There have been books written about about church growth. Today, the big buzzword is church health. Is your church healthy? And it's believed if you have a healthy church, then you will have a growing church. And uh, I, I believe that what's important is that we be a healthy church and then God decide if we're going to grow or not. Let God bless this, you know, if He wants to. Which I do believe He does bless healthy churches. And healthy churches, that's a pretty broad term because we're not just talking about growing numerically, but we're talking about growing and maturing as Christians, as people, as God's people. It's interesting to me that right now you could get on you could get on the internet and with just a little bit of effort and you you start looking at church websites you're going to come across a church website of a church that's dead. It has this wonderful website. It looks like it's really going somewhere, 
but if you were to go visit it, the doors would be closed. In fact, in America, every year, about 4,000 churches close their doors. 4,000. They're dead. They're gone. So we have Facebook pages and websites of churches that don't even exist that look like they're alive. I don't know about you, but it makes me nervous. That makes me nervous. Does a church have a lifespan? You ever thought about that? You have a lifespan. I have a lifespan. Does a church have a lifespan? And by the way, knowing that you have a lifespan, let me ask you this, how long do you want that lifespan to last? As long as possible? Yeah, a long time, as long as possible. And if a church has a lifespan, how long does God want his, this church to live? As long as possible? Absolutely. You know, you look at all these churches. All these churches here in Asia Minor. This is Turkey, modern day Turkey. There's only two cities that have churches in them that claim to be, that follow Christian teaching. Did you know that? Only two of the seven. The rest are gone. Today I want to talk about a church that Jesus, man, He puts it on them. I told you these lessons seem to be getting tougher and tougher and tougher. And here I want, today I want to talk about a church that Jesus is concerned about because their doors are about to close. It's the church in Sardis. If you can read with me, if you like here on the screen, we're going to look at Revelation 3. And this is what the Bible says about the church in Sardis. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. Remember. Therefore, what you have received and heard, hold fast. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one, the one. There it is again. See, it's a church, but it... But guys, the church is made up of believers. And he's saying the one, that one believer. You know, we are as strong as you are. This church is as strong as you are. And he says the one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of the person from the book of life. See how personal this is to look at this? Why we should, why you and I should listen to this as a church, but especially you as an individual believer. It says, I will not blot his name out, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels, whoever has ears. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, the city of Sardis was considered the greatest and richest city of the ancient world. In fact, one of the things that was said about Sardis was, was that the their beaches, the sand, it was called the sand of gold or golden sand beaches. I think about white sandy beaches of St. Thomas or Hawaii. But this wasn't white sand. It would happen to be just granulars of gold. 
Can you imagine? I want to be on that beach, huh? And take a lot of samples home with me. Lots of gold. This was That's why it was so rich. This river had such a richness of gold, you could just go down there and get it by the handfuls. And so when this king of Lydia named Croesus was reigning, uh, he lived in Sardis where all the gold was. And he used to walk around and show people and brag and say, look at all the, look at all the riches we have here at Sardis. And one day somebody said, you know, Croesus, you need to be careful because if you keep talking like that, somebody's going to try to take this gold. And sure enough, a fellow from Persia by the name of Cyrus, he was a king in Persia in 549 B.C., wants that gold. And so he begins to come towards Sardis. And Croesus, again, he's a powerful king too. Sardis was a tough, tough town. It was strong. He's thinking to himself, hey, uh, I think I can take him. So he goes and inquires uh, and asks some direction from this person called a Delphi. And what a Delphi was, they were a, like a fortune teller, but with not, not with a crystal ball. They would sit on this rock that straddled this crack in the surface of the earth where there was volcanic activity and all these gases. Can you imagine what she's breathing? All these gases would be coming up and she's sitting there. No wonder she'd act like she was in a... Well, she would just look like she wasn't all there. You know, you breathe in gases long enough, I guess you wouldn't be. But they noticed that this Delphi could tell the future. And so a lot of people would come and ask this, what do I do? And she would answer in her drunken stupor or drugged up stupor some answer. And they would go and they would believe it was, it was from the belly of the earth that she was getting inspired. And so... So Croesus, King Croesus decides he's going to go talk to this Delphi before he attacks Cyrus. He says, listen, I'm thinking about going and meeting Cyrus out on the plains. Uh, what, what, what will happen if I do that? And she's sitting there and, you know, well, oh, King Croesus, you're, you're, a great kingdom will fall if you attack. He's like, well, all right. And so he gets his army and out he goes and he meets Cyrus the Great. You need Cyrus the Great for a reason. He destroys. He beats that Croesus' army to pieces. See, Croesus didn't listen real close, did he? He heard a kingdom would fall. He assumed it would be Cyrus's. It was his. And he's like, oh my gosh. And so he's retreats and, and they take and go back into Sardis and they, and they hunker down in Sardis. You say, well, what's so cool about that? Well, Sardis, the city was built on this, like a bluff or a butte of rock that was 1,500 feet in the air. Now, I don't know how tall the bluffs in Alton. Would you guess? 300, 500 feet? 300? Imagine five times taller than the bluffs of Alton. And there's a city up there with a wall around it. See, this city had never been taken. It was nearly impregnable. And Cyrus is scratching his head with his army at the foot of this, looking in there laughing from up there, and he's going, mm. He says to his army, anybody that can figure out a way to take this city, I will, I will handsomely reward you. And so the soldiers are looking, and one night a soldier is watching, looking up there, and he sees a fella, a guard walking around, and his hat falls off his head. It, it, he leans over and it falls off and it falls into the rocks. And, he, and as the soldier's watching, this 
centurion, he looks around, probably didn't see that. He climbs over the wall and climbs down like a monkey. And he gets down there and he gets his hat and comes right back up. And the soldier discovers something. There must be a passageway here. So he tells King, King uh, Cyrus, hey, listen, I just watched something. He tells the story and Cyrus goes, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go around to the other side of the city and cause a diversion. And while we're doing that, I want you guys to climb up that wall, climb up this rock face, find that passageway. You got it. Cyrus creates a diversion. Of course, Croesus is thinking, oh, he's coming this way. So he brings his army, you know, kind of over this way, part of the city. While Cyrus' little special delta force is crawling up the rock face. And they get to the top. They find this this path. They find this crack. And, and they're like, well, this is wonderful. They get up there. And guess what they find when they get to the wall? No one is guarding it. That's how confident Sardis is. Nobody's going to be able to take us from this way. Nobody's going to be able to destroy us. We don't even need to have a guard there. They take the city. Cyrus takes the city. So you can see why Jesus is concerned about the church because whether we like it or not, folks, we like to think we're the great influencers of the culture. But many times we take up the same ideas and attitudes of our culture even in the church. Am I right? And see, this is what's going on here. He's telling this church at Sardis, you guys are asleep at the wheel. You guys are not watching. You're, like, you're not guarding. And you are vulnerable. And so what do we learn from this church? Well, we learn, we learn that this, this, this city, first of all, doesn't learn their lesson and neither does the church. By the way, the city today is in rubble. There's, there's not, Sardis doesn't exist. Total rubble. There's a little village a few miles away in Turkey called Sirt. And if you, if you get there to Sirt, you know you're close to where Sardis is. Sardis now, the area of just basically people living there, the thieves and robbers live there and hide in the crevices and cracks waiting for anybody that doesn't watch, doesn't pay attention. They, they, they tend to rob. So like the city of Sardis, the church thinks they're secure, but they're vulnerable. The church thinks they're one way, yet they're another. They think they're alive, but they're really dead. And I think we can learn something from this church, from the words of Jesus. And we can learn how to be a healthy church. We can learn how to be a ready church. A church that's alive. I don't know if you know this or not, folks, but people have wrote us off. And I don't say that to get you riled and go, Hoo! I just want you to know, peeps, a lot of people wrote us off. And I want you to know, Sardis, I would have wrote them off, wouldn't you? They're dead. But Jesus says, oh, no, no, I'm not done with you. In church, I want you to know something. Jesus Christ is not done with greater Alton. He is not done with you either. And so what can I learn about being spiritually healthy? Well, let me give you three of them here that I notice here. Number one, and by the way, I appreciate your prayers because these points are coming because you're praying for me. I mean that. Number one, God wants me to acknowledge my true spiritual condition. It starts there. I've got to acknowledge where I really am. Don't, don't all sermons start there? 
Don't we, doesn't, doesn't any lesson start there? Didn't James say, when you look at my word, you're looking at your face in a mirror, not somebody else's? We'd like to turn at somebody else, right? But he's, no, you're looking at yourself. And he's turned, basically Jesus has turned a mirror to Sardis and says, look at you. You think you look alive. You think you're fine, but you don't see yourself accurately. You think you're spiritually healthy, but you're really dying. Years ago, I had an uncle-in-law, Denise's side of the family, uh, Dick Doty. He was diagnosed with cancer. And we were celebrating. We were at a party. I thought it was his birthday. I don't really remember. It was a party, though. And I remember hearing, overhearing him say, I've never felt better in my life. And he looked great. And someone leans over, and I hear them say, He'll be, he's not okay. That's the medication. He will be dead in two weeks. He was dead in two weeks. Here's a guy standing, laughing, Seemed like everything was fine. He was dead in two weeks. This is Sardis, see? They think, I'm doing good. And how many of us, we fall into this? I'm doing fine, when we're not really doing fine. And see, Jesus knows. He knows our deeds. In fact, I'll tell you, let me say this to you. He knows. Look what it says. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. He says, I know your true condition as much as you. Because if you were honest, you'd, you'd know it's true. He says, I know your deeds. I know what you're doing. And there are dead people in your church. You ever been to Cabela's? I've been to Cabela's several times. I remember the first time we went to Cabela's. Had the boys, they were a little bitty. Matthew, who's he's a rambunctious little fellow. Some people call him strong-willed. Okay. He's running, and, he, and what's he, he's at Cabela's, what's he running to? Well, he's running past the machine guns. He's running past the fishing poles. What's he running to? Look at that bear! Look at that elk! Look at that deer! There's a raccoon! Look at that turkey! Look at all, and he's grabbing, you know, trying to, and he's, going over the, and he's in the, you know, they got that special environment, mountains and trees, and he thinks, this is the zoo, this is not the zoo, this is Cabela's. And he's, I go, Matthew, you can't do that. Why? Because it says don't touch the animals, you come back here. But dad, I want to, I want to pet the raccoon. And the raccoon's doing this. I'm going, you know, (laughs) doesn't that give you any kind of warning, kid? And why is he doing it? Because he thinks they're alive. They look lifelike. You gotta admit that old taxidermy knows what he's doing, huh? He's pretty good at it. They look so lifelike, you can't even see the bullet holes. They're dead. They're dead. I was eight years old. Eight years old. Phone, phone rang. Got me, woke me up. It was, it was Bobo, my grandma, Gil, answering the phone. Hey. Yes, hello? And I just, I don't know if Danny is awake or Mike's awake, but I'm awake. Yes, he passed away, uh, early this morning. It was my grandpa Collins. He was there the night before, laughing, having a great time. I talked to my mom this week about that when I was, we called and talked to her about Stephanie. I said, Mom, how did that happen? I want to make sure I got this right. She goes, oh yeah, we the night before, he was over. 
He goes, you know, Tim, I was having such a good time with my dad. We were getting so close. Closer than we'd been in years. He complained of a little chest problem. My chest feels tight. They pour him a little glass of whiskey. Here, try that. That'll, that'll help you. Take a swig of that. Yeah. He's dead that early the next morning. We didn't go to school. Mom says, you know, you blew your perfect attendance right out of the water, Tim. I mean, you didn't get to go to school. And it was near the end of school. I remember standing in front of the casket. Here I'm standing. The casket's right here. Imagine this. My brother Mike, me in the middle, Danny's five, and my dad has his hands on my shoulder. Never forget it. And we're looking at Grandpa. His hair's combed. He got the best suit he owned. And Danny says, why is Grandpa sleeping in that funny bed? And I remember feeling my dad's tighten up just a little bit on my shoulder. Look up at him. He's got tears welling up. I was eight and I knew what was going on. Mortician did a great job. He looked so lifelike. But he was dead. He wasn't moving. He wasn't breathing. There was no heartbeat. This is Sardis. This is Sardis. It's a dead church. It's a dying church. It scares me to death. Because I don't want us to be a dead church. I don't want to be a dead believer. If there's any dying going on, I want to die to myself, huh? If there's going to be some walking dead men around, I want to be a walking dead man. Walking dead man. Walking the green mile. Because I'm going to my execution of my selfishness and my sin, not giving up. And Jesus is talking about something there. He's saying, look, you look alive, but you're not. He's saying, look, be honest. I'm honest. I see your deeds. Jesus, he, he said over 300 times, I tell you the truth. So when he says, I see your deeds, he's honest. He doesn't schmooze it. He said, look, I want to be honest. You're dying. You're dying. All the excuses we make for spiritual decline. How quickly we can make all these excuses. Well, I've been hurt. That's why I'm not doing what I used to do. I've been burned. So I'm not going to be involved like I used to be. I'm bitter because I was treated unkindly by another Christian. Oh, okay, let's get it straight. Another sinner. And I'm, I just don't think that's right. So I'm going to, I'm not, I'm, I'm just going to sit back and do nothing. And how many times have we said, I'm not going to do that anymore because we're hurt. I'm not going to do that anymore because I'm just, I'm just getting to the age. You're not dead yet. You hear me, people over 50? You're not dead yet. Have you died before you died? I don't want to die before I die. I don't want my lifespan as a Christian to end. You know, I, uh, I'll tell you something. I, uh, somebody told me something was on Facebook. And this young man said these words, something like this. I'll tell you what amazes me how a woman can be a Christian, have cancer for almost 20 years, and die still being a Christian. 
Her, let me tell you, Stephanie's spiritual lifespan lasted longer than her lifespan on this earth. That to me, I marveled at that. See, Jesus knows. I heard a guy at a funeral, just a few weeks ago did a funeral, and a fella, after I got done with the funeral, he says, thank God there's only one judge, and it's not me, and it's not you. And I said, I'm thanking God too. He knows as much as you know about yourself. May know a little more. Huh? He knows what you can do. Sometimes when you've convinced yourself, you can't. So, so why don't we just be honest and quit making excuses to justify spiritual decline? Because Jesus is honest. Look what He says in Matthew 23. Here's wow. I hope He never has to say this to you or I. You guys are like whitewashed tombs. He calls them hypocrites, these Pharisees, which looked fine on the outside. You know, back then they, they really made the, the tombs look pretty. They look great on the outside, but inside they're full of bones and decaying corpses. They're dead on the inside. Let me ask you if you could be honest this morning. How is your faith? Is it alive or is it dying? Because it doesn't stay the same. It never stays the same. It's either growing or dying. Living or dying. There's a second thing I noticed from, from Sardis, and that is God wants me to monitor my spiritual vitals. Now, I've talked to two nurses and asked them, what are the vitals that you look for or that you, you look for when somebody's coming into the hospital like an ER room? My son Matthew happens to be a nurse at an ER room and he has all these crazy stories. Some of them I say, I don't want to hear while I'm eating. I want to wait. You know, but he has. He, I said I asked him. I said the other day, and I asked John uh, Wolf the same thing. I said, "What do you guys do when someone comes in? What's the first thing you do?" And he starts naming all these things. You know, because just like a body has vitals, we check blood pressure, we we check for a pulse, we check for breathing, we we check. To, you know, sometimes we'll we'll uh, rub their sternum to see if they'll move or something. You know, that'll help. Sometimes we'll shine a light in their eyes, see if we get some kind of reaction or response. I said, okay. Sometimes we'll yell at them, you know. I said, oh, really? Yell at them, huh? Yeah. And so I, and, and I thought to myself, you know, just like the body, of, the, the body of Christ, we're called the body of Christ, we resemble a body, I bet there's some monitoring, we ought to monitor some vital signs here. As, as a believer, I should monitor these vital signs to see if I'm alive or I'm dying. Well, look, look, look what uh, Jesus says in Revelation 3. He says, wake up. Be alert. Be watchful. Well, three different translations. Well, which one is it? It's all three. It's saying, be, can you just imagine somebody from Sardis hearing, wake up, be alert, be watchful, that have, you say, what, what do you mean? Well, you, I don't know if you know this or not, but 300 years later, the same thing happened to Sardis. Antiochus III, a Seleucid king, comes to Sardis in 218 B.C. and has the same problem Cyrus has. Now by this time, 300 years later, total different generation of people. They have grown overconfident and cocky. They're rich. And guess what? Diversion. A delta force goes up. And guess what they find at the wall? Nobody's watching again. 
They're caught completely by surprise again. Why? Because they're not watching. They're not being alert. They're not waking up. They're asleep at the wheel. Who is the guard of the church? Who is the guard that will stand watch over the church? Well, that's the, that's the elders' job. They're the shepherds. They, they overlook the affair. No, they don't overlook. There's times maybe we have, but we really know we're to oversee. Don't you think it's your job too? Who is to be the watcher of myself? Well, we'll keep an eye on you, Tim. You get out of line. Mm. Well, I appreciate that. But who's the guard of you? Isn't it you? Is it the guard of me? Start with me? And he says, wake up, be alert, be watchful. What's he trying to say? You need to keep your eye on some things, church. Look what he says in verse 3. Therefore, if you do not keep watch, I will come like a thief. I've heard that phrase before. And you will never know at what hour I will come to you. See, the bluff at Sardis has got all these crevices and cracks and hiding places and thieves still today hiding these places. And if you don't keep watch, if you don't pay attention, if you're not alert, you get thumped in the head and they take everything you got. And so he's saying to this church, you really need to keep watch. Because if you, listen, if you as a, a Christian believer, one person do not keep watch, the whole church could go down. If I just lose my helmet of salvation and don't keep watch, I could put everybody here in peril. Oh, what I do wouldn't matter. You want to, don't try it. Don't test it. Please don't. Because you'll hurt us. No, what you need to do is keep watch. Well, keep watch over what? Well, just like the body, we're to keep watch over certain vitals. What are the vitals of my faith? Well, let me give you four that I need to monitor on a regular basis. I need to be diligent about. I need to watch. The first one is, the first vital is my ability to hear. Revelation 3, 2, it says, wake up! I asked my son, Matthew, uh, what's the first thing you do when a guy comes in on a gurney? He goes, well, we start yelling at him. What? Yeah, we yell. Sir, ma'am, hello, can you hear me? And we yell in both ears. And I go, what do you mean, like, like drill sergeants? You know, you go into one ear, hey, 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 hey. He goes, that's exactly what we do. Why? They may not be able to hear out of one ear. Richard has trouble hearing out of one ear. Richard Harders. So you can just imagine, you know, wait, wake up! They grab and shake them, do all kinds of things, trying to get their attention. Let me ask you something. Has God been shouting at you? How do you respond when God is speaking to you? Does He have to yell at you? Well, how rude. Why do you have to be so loud, Tim? Why do you have to be so loud, God? God, why are you yelling at me? Can I tell you why God's yelling at you? Because He wants you alive. 
Well, if you got you go to ER and everybody's going, you need to get out of there fast. No, he he shouts because he he's saying you are asleep. You're asleep at the wheel. What is wrong with you? You're not watching. Somebody needs to get your attention. I will. I'll start yelling at you. Now, you might say, well, that's just not right. Well, He wants you to live. And so what's your response when God's yelling at you, when He shouts at you from a sermon? Now, I want to tell you, I appreciate you saying, oh, that's a good sermon. I'll tell you when it's a good sermon, when it leads to change. If it's changing you, God's talking to you, let Him talk to you. What do you do when, when somebody's walking up to you and saying to talk to you about something? Oh, you don't have any kids. You don't know anything about child rearing. You know, what are you talking to me for? You don't have a job. What do you know about job? What are you talking to me for? You're old. Your days of talking are over. Oh, wow. We have so many wise people in this church. And it's, I'll tell you, it's not the young ones. Hello? Am I right? We won't listen. Oh, they're nagging me. Well, that's, you know what? Sometimes that maybe that's all it is, is nagging because that's how you take it. All I know is if you don't listen, you may not be alive. Your faith might end up being dead. Look what the Bible says here. Open your ears. This is a common common statement in the Old Testament. So I picked one, kind of rolled the dice, and this is the one that got it. Open your ears and come to me. Listen so you may live. Do you listen to God? Are you listening to God? Because it is a source. By listening. If you can hear God, you will live. But if you have the ears of a dead man don't expect to live very long. Vital sign number two, my response to stimulation. I know your deeds. Circle that. I know your deeds. What do you mean? I know what you do. And it's dead. What are you saying? You're dead. And this is what you do. You do nothing. Matthew said sometimes dead will tap them on the shoulder. John says, well, sometimes we'll tap them like, hey, we'll shake them. What are you doing that for? We're trying to get a reaction. We're trying to get some kind of response, Tim. You see, the church in Sardis is not suffering from any persecution like Ephesus. They're not, listen, they're not suffering uh, any persecution from Ephesus, they're not being crushed like they were in Smyrna. You know, the Jews in Smyrna were slandering and just beating down the Christians at Smyrna. The biggest Jewish synagogue in Asia Minor is in Sardis. The biggest Jewish presence. And they're not giving the church there any trouble. Satan is not attacking them like Pergamum. There's no right of the sword. Nobody walking around going, kill them, kill them. And nobody, nobody's losing their job. Their jobs are not being threatened like the guilds of Thyatira. Why not? Listen to me. There is no activity against this church because there's no activity in this church. Last time I checked physics, motion can cause friction. 
So if there's no friction, there's no motion. This church has got no activity against it. They're getting along fine with everybody. Jesus says, you have the deeds of a dead body. I have found your deeds unfinished, He says. Unfinished. He's saying, you haven't completed what I want you to do. You've stopped. You've stopped. I guess you could say they resemble a corpse more than they do Christ. You've flatlined. You aren't doing anything like you used to when you were alive. You know, anybody ever say that to you? What's happened to you? You used to do all kinds of stuff. You don't, don't do anything like you used to. It's like, you're not the same. Well, what's not the same? Life. You know, when as Stephanie was dying, she just wasn't doing the same things she did when she was healthy. Well, you, you got a problem with that, Tim? No, I'm just saying that's, isn't that true? Last several months, she was even having trouble coming to church. She wasn't coming to small group. Now she was doing things to help people. She was giving counsel and she was still trying to help people. And I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't feel sorry for her. I mean, I just, that's the facts. That's the way it is. I just want to say to you, uh, is what's keeping you from doing what you did when you were alive? More alive. Are you more alive now? What's, what's your response? What's your actions? Number three. Here's the vital sign number three. The condition of my heart. Both these nurses told me you always check for a pulse. You check for a heartbeat. You, you check the, the carotid vein. Is that what it's called? Carotid you check this big thing over here and you listen for a heartbeat and you're looking at blood pressure. Remember that. You're looking at blood pressure. The better the pressure, the better the heartbeat. Makes sense, right? So you're looking at blood pressure. Why would you check? That's one of the first things they check because the heart is everything. And look what the Bible says here to you and I in Proverbs 4. Watch over your heart with all diligence. He's saying you need to keep watch over this heart. Why? Because from it flow the springs of life. You really need to look at your heart. Praise God there are some people in this church in Sardis here that still have life. They still have a passion, a heartbeat for God. Yet, you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They've, gotten, they've not gotten dirty with sin, in other words. They, they will walk with me dressed in white. Why? For they are worthy. They still have a heartbeat for me. They still have a passion for me. Psalms 27, look at this. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm a coming. Oh, I am just so in love with you. I'm so passionate about you. You say come and meet together. It reminds me last night when I was went over to, the, to Nathan and Nicole's house and there's Nora sitting in that big old beanbag chair. You know that big... Mama chair and is or big beat and she's almost enveloped in it, a little face in the middle, and I'm she's watching uh, something on TV and I'm Nora, Nora, I haven't seen her in a week, so you know Nora, Nora, 
ignore it. Last time I saw her, we played, we played a tea party on FaceTime. That's hard to do. Nora. And I get, finally get in front of the TV. I'm a part of Cat in a Hat. And she looks at me and goes, Papa! <laughs> She's a moving, trying to get out. Oh, Papa! And we hug and I'm going, you know, I don't have to say, come hug me. She has a passion for me. I love it. I love it. Now, if I was to visit her, and she, oh, Papa, get out of the way. I'm watching. I know that's coming. And that's when my heart will be broken, and I'll let you know when it happens. But you know, it's like, and God's sitting there going, Come, he says to David, hey, let's get together. And he's like, oh, I couldn't wait for you till you said that, Lord. I'm, I'm in. My heart just beats for you. I never refused my wife when she says, come over and, when we were dating, come over and visit. I was there. I sometimes think, I, I would pretend she said, come over. But I gotta tell you, there's been times in our marriage where, I want her to get out of the way of the TV. You just get out of the way. I'm trying to watch something. Just saying. The heart doesn't always beat, does it? Love this in Psalm 57. My heart is steady, God. My heart is steady. I will sing and praise You. My heart is steady, God. My heart is steady. Sounds like a heartbeat, doesn't it? My heart is confident, Lord. My heart is confident, Lord. Oh, I'm going to praise You. I love You, Lord. I love You, Lord. I surrender to You, Lord. What do You want me to do, Lord? Anything for You, God. Now, that's what a heart does when it's passionate. It's like, what do You want me to do, Lord? Teach me Your ways, Lord. Help me, Lord. I'm afraid, Lord. But I'm confident in You, Lord. I'm secure in You, Lord. The pulse, the pulse is beating. And the blood of Jesus' pressure is normal. It's good. If the great physician took my blood pressure, you go, wow, my blood is flowing. My blood pressure in you, Tim. Oh, that's good. Perfect. You don't have to change your diet at all. How's your heart this morning? Is it skipping a beat or two? Is it pumping passionately, beating passionately for the Lord? Vital sign number four, my breathing. They always check your breathing, don't they? It's a major sign. It's a major vital sign to check that breathing. Without breathing, you're dead. Someone, I was reading uh, earlier this week that we breathe 16 breaths per minute. That's a total of 23,000 breaths a day. And you're breathing everywhere. You know what I'm saying? You're breathing. Sometimes the breath is... <gasps> Sometimes the breath is, sometimes the breath is like, but we're breathing throughout the day. Most of the breaths we don't even realize we're taking. My son said to me, you know, Dad, the only thing I would caution you about is this. And I go, what's that? Well, medicine sure has come a long way. It has? Because yeah, well, I know that. Well, what I mean is, I've seen a lot of people die, a lot of people live, but now we have machines. And when you flash that flashlight in their eyes, 
and there's no response, they're brain dead, you can put them on a machine and keep them alive. I couldn't help but think about, are there machines that keep my faith alive? When I have, when the head and I are not together? It's not that the head isn't working. The head isn't, I'm not connected to Jesus. Can a church have so many machines in place that they don't even realize they're dying? What are you talking about, Tim? That's a whole other sermon. Am I right? I'm curious about that. I can be involved in ministry and I'm dying inside. I can I can I can give 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 money 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 and I can be dying inside. I can get myself around a strong personality and just oh I'm so alive because I'm with this strong personality machine doing all the pumping all the breathing for me but don't don't we want to have don't we don't we need those things don't, machines are good right well you ask the new england patriots the machines are good they're all machines they're all robots i'm convinced of it no is it okay to be involved in ministry yes was it okay to enjoy it tim yes is it okay to get a thrill of it and feel alive in it of course but not to depend on it only God gives life. And what I breathe, what am I breathing? What is this breathing all about? And I did, I struggled with this. I'm not really good at this point. I'm going to make for you, and I'm going to take a shot at it. Notice he says in Revelation 3, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God. He's saying, I have the spirits of all seven churches. I have the ability to keep all seven churches alive. All seven are alive in this... You say, well, you just said they were dead. Well, we, we found out that... We're going to find out in a minute. He's going to say, strengthen what is dying or what remains. They're not quite out of the picture yet. I'm not giving up on these churches because from me, they can get... They, I, they have their spirit. I hold it. I have it for them. In 2 Corinthians 2... Paul, as he's making a point about the Old Testament, New Testament, living by the law and living by the Spirit, he says the law brings death. And look what he says. But the Spirit brings life. So I started looking at this thinking, okay, what, what are we talking here? And I know some of you get, or much, some of you here could do this better than me. So permit me to say these things, okay, this morning. You can talk to me later. I just think about how the breath of God is related to the Spirit of God. I read over and over again where God breathes and things come alive. And His Holy Spirit is breathed and people come alive. I see that in the Scriptures. What are you talking about, Tim? Well, even Adam, when he was created, God fashions him out of the dirt and then from inside him, he breathes from something that's inside him, he breathes into this and he starts living. Did Adam have the Holy Spirit? Well, he was a living soul. I know the soul spirit thing we'll talk about sometime. Did, did, did Adam have the Holy Spirit? 
Well, I don't know. Did he speak in tongues? <laughs> Come on. Adam have the Holy Spirit. Did he have the life of God other than the physical life? Did he have this spiritual life of God? He walked with God every day, of course. Of course. Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 37, you have, a, you have this prophet. He has this dream, this vision. God leads him to this valley. It's full of bleached white bones. They're dead? I think so. And he, and he says, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel gives the answer that I would have given. I don't know. Only you know that. And God says in Ezekiel 37, He says, uh, I'm going to breathe My Spirit into these bones and they're going to live again. And you see Halloween in the Bible. All these bones begin to rattle and they begin to come together. And all of a sudden, the, the skeleton, and here comes the skin, or the, the sinews and the muscles and the organs and whatever order. And, and there they stand in front of Ezekiel this, in this vision, a vast army of men. And God says, I'm going to call the four winds, and they come and fill them until they go, and they're alive again. And then he says this. Based on this, based on this vision, he says to Ezekiel, let me tell you what I'm going to do to Israel, to my people. I will put my spirit in you, Israel, and you will live again. You dying? How do I, how do I breathe the Holy Spirit? I depend on the Holy Spirit. I think Romans 8 talks about when I live by the Spirit, I experience the life of the Spirit. He's not talking about pumper and flesh. He's talking about this spiritual life. And it comes from depending on the Holy Spirit. I want you to know this morning, Jesus wants to breathe life into you. Like the disciples, one day He said to the disciples in John 20, he says he breathed on them and said, "Receive the Holy Spirit." He wants you to. He want. By the way, what what happened to these guys? What did they do? They did incredible things because of that. They had something in them, a zest, a confidence, a second wind, whatever you want to call it, and their faith was alive, and they obeyed. And I want to say to you this morning that God can bring back a church on the brink of death and He can bring you back too. You feel like, man, my faith's been dying, Tim. It's been hit a lot. You know, Chrissy Harders, the day she signed her divorce papers, her aunt passed away. She was like, what's going on? I said, you must be scaring the devil to death. All I can figure is because you are getting hit with both. And I said, life, life is taking shots at you. And Chrissy, you can either fold and quit or you can rise up and trust God and depend on the Holy Spirit. I don't understand the Holy Spirit completely. All I know is there's times I feel like He's, he's nudging me, leading me, helping me understand what to do. And that's because I submit to Him 
I submit to the Spirit of God and I find, I find more life than I find death when I do. And so will you. Those are the vital signs. Is the Holy Spirit leading you? Is the Holy Spirit having its way with you? Is the Holy Spirit producing God's fruit in you? Number three, what else is as we wrap this up? God wants me to do my part to keep my faith alive. He wants me to do my part. See, doctors and nurses can only do so much. I was talking to both, my, both John and to Matt, and I said, you know, is there a, time, or is there a point where a doctor says, I, I can't do anymore, or a nurse says, yeah. And we say it's really up to the patient. I know of people, after the doctors have done everything, they say they should be just fine, but because they don't have the will to live, they die. Just the will to live. Doctor tries to help, nurse tries to help, says change your diet, and what do we, what do we do? No, I'm going to have that great Mac now. And wonder why my chest gets tight. I'm not going to exercise. I'm going to exercise the sofa. I mean, there's only so much a doctor can do. No, and there's only so much Jesus can do, is what I'm trying to tell you. It's still you and I, our responsibility to keep our faith alive. Look what it says in 1 Timothy 4. Spend your time and energy in the exercise of keeping spiritually fit. You see, I can't live on somebody by somebody else's faith. I can't live on somebody else's faith. I want to say to you, one of the things that, that, that I'm reminded of what my brother's going through, you know, the, I don't know what's worse. Well, it is worse. Watching my brother go through what he's going through. That's worse. Stephanie, let me tell you something, guys. Stephanie's in heaven, and there's no, we couldn't drag her back here if we tried. It's too late. <laughs> She's there. You know, it's like going, you know, to Disney World. Let's go to Six Flags. No. You've been to Disney World? Yeah. I got in that teacup ride and I was hooked. She's in heaven. She's not. But I'll tell you why. My brother's still, he's still here. And I look over at him and I want to tell you, it, it's hard to watch what he's going through. Because I'll tell you what I've watched. I've witnessed so many people lose their spouse and they lose the anchor they're anchor. They don't know what to do. And I don't, I'm not saying my brother's there. I'm just saying I've watched people lose parents, kids, spouses, and it's like they were the ones that kept them going. And see, by the way, I don't believe my brother's going anywhere. I don't believe Tom Tarantino is going anywhere. You know, I've, there's been others. I, they went somewhere. And I, I'm just saying to you is that the, there is my responsibility to, to take care of my walk with God. The great physician gives this prescription: strengthen what remains is it about and is about to die. You mean we're not dead yet? You said we were dead. Well, you're about there, but take what you've got left. Just. Whatever you've got left, Tim, whatever's about to die, church, work on that. Well, I've got a quiet time that's kind of, you know, it's hit and miss. Whatever it is, work on it. Strengthen that. 
My prayer life, it's just hit and miss. Strengthen that. My, I serve a little bit. I don't know. I'm not, sometimes I'm, I show up at group. Sometimes I don't. I don't know. I, I, I begin to look at it as optional. Strengthen that. My giving, you know, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like giving something. Strengthen. Strengthen that. It's, it's still there. It may not be much, but let me tell you, God can take, if He could take a body that's been dead for three days and resurrected, what can He do with somebody that's got some, a little bit? Like the song says, little is much when God is in it. It's true. Take what you got left. Trust the Lord. Strengthen it. I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. Finish what God. I'm saying to some of you here, you used to be leaders. You used to be active. You used to be involved in ministry. It's time to finish the job. Time to get back in the game. Strengthen what's missing. What's, what's, what's remaining. Finish what's been unfinished. And he's, and listen, I know some of you here, some of you here, you may, you may be thinking, oh, are you saying I'm dead? I don't know. It's possible you could, what you're going through right now is just dryness. There's a difference between dryness and deadness. I'm going through a tough time right now. I don't know. It, I just don't feel very connected. You say, well, that, you could be dead or dry saying that. Let me tell you the difference. Dryness is when you go, I just don't feel connected. I don't feel like I'm really doing, I need to be doing stuff. I need to be working on this. I, I'll go, I'm not satisfied with this and it bothers me. You're just dry. You're just dry. You just need to get to the living water again. But I'll tell you if you, I'll tell you how you know you're dead. I just don't feel connected. I just don't feel, I don't feel like I'm, you know, I, I just, I'm just not getting involved like I used to. I'm just, I'm kind of, things are just kind of shaky right now. And I basically don't care. I'm not going to do anything about it. You're dead. You're dead. Jesus, I want you to see something here this morning. I want you to understand something. God has not given up on you. I say all this to you, it's very important you understand. God has not given up on any of you. Just like He did. This church is dead. It's dead. He said, ah, there's still something. Still a little left. And I'm not going to run out. I'm not going to call it dead 10.35 p.m. No, not going to call it. I'm going to keep up pump. I will pump you. I will CPR you until your rib cage caves in. I am going to make sure you're going to live. So he says, remember. Remember what? Well, I know this. Sometimes remembering. I've been to there's some certain places when I'm there, I remember what happened there. In Edwards County, at the Edwards County Fair, where I met my wife at a church camp, the commitment I made. I, rem- I, I think about ser- certain services, certain groups, certain moments, that if I go there, like going to a grave rekindles the tears and the emotions, you go, why, why am I crying? You know, Because you're at a place that reminds you and it has an impact on you. It rekindles the things that were once there. So what should I remember, Kim? How about the cross? 
How about placing yourself before the cross? Let it rekindle your heart. Quicken your spirit. Breathe the air at the foot of the cross and be revived. Remember what you've received and heard. Hold it fast. Is that all about? Danny one time said to me, if it has a handle on it, be careful, it means work. (laughs) He says, hold on to it. Why? Because it's not going to be easy. You hold on to what you have. You do not let go of it. And you have to work it. And repent. Huh? Expect you're going to have to change something, Tim. You're going to have to change an attitude. We're always thinking about what do I need to change? Most of it, folks, is our thinking. It's just our thinking. And then he says this as we close. Three promises he gives us. He goes, look, I want you to know I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm going to walk with you. We're going to walk together through this. I will help you revive what you've lost. We'll walk through this together. And then he says, and you're going to make it because I'm going to dress you in white. That means you're going to be righteous and pure and holy. And on top of that, I'm going to remember your name. It will never be blotted out. It's in the book of life. And I want it to stay there. I don't think God wants to blot anybody's names out. I think the Bible tells us He doesn't want anyone to perish. Everyone to come to repent. He doesn't want your name off the book. So this morning, you simply ask yourself maybe a couple of questions. One is, am I alive or dead? Am Am I more about living or more about dying? What vital signs do I need to Pay attention to. What are my vitals telling me about me? Listen to what the Lord is saying to those churches, church. Listen closely. You have a card in your bulletin. And uh, that card is simply a, an opportunity to respond to this lesson. Maybe you want a, a prayer request. Maybe there's a decision you want to make. You want people to pray about that decision. I want to say to you, if, you, if, you're, gonna, if you're making a decision today, I would take advantage of that prayer because you don't want your life just to be an emotional change, but a, but a transformation of your, of your actions and stuff. And I just pray you'll Take advantage of this as our prayer team prays over these cards, prays through that card that you fill out. If you put nothing, they'll make something up. That's how much they'll just pray that the, that what what you've learned today will be applied. If that's all you want to do, that's fine too. But we're going to give you an opportunity to fill that card out. We're going to sing, the worship team's going to sing a song after I pray, and you'll fill that card out, and then we'll sing another song and take up our contribution and those cards. And then you'll be on your way. May God bless you with a faith that's alive. Let's pray. Holy God, um, thank You so much for Your Word.
so much for the challenges of, of, that were made to Sardis. Father, I just think about this church. Oh, hi. I pray, Father, that Greater Alton, Father, that we'll be alive as long as You want us to. That we don't die before we're supposed to. I know, Father, there are things this church has yet to do. Some great things ahead of us. Help us, Father, have a heart that beats passionately for You. Father, help us to watch closely these signs. Father, check our breathing. Let us breathe in Your Spirit. Live by Your Spirit. Father, let, our, let, let us respond more than emotionally. Father, I pray for, for activity to be against this church because there's activity in this church. I Father, I pray that happen. Father, I pray that the faith of us that we have be alive and not dead. Father, I pray we hear Your voice, that we listen for Your voice. And if you have to shout, that we'll listen anyway. Help us stand guard, Father, over what You've given us so we don't lose it. And Father, I pray this morning that if some of us here are just dry, we're going through a season of dryness, that we will come to You and be filled with living water. Replenish us, Father. And for those of us that are that are not, not, not bothered by our condition, Father, quicken us, quicken our hearts, fill us with conviction to be bothered so we can live again, Lord. Help us strengthen what remains. Help us see what it is and strengthen it. Help us finish what You've borne us again to do. Help us remember the cross. What, it's, what we've received from the cross, what we hear from the cross, to hold to it tightly and change whatever it is we need to change. Father, I pray, I pray for my brother. I pray for Morgan and Ethan, for Barbara, for Jen. Just for all the family, Father, the family that's, that's experienced this what uh, a brother of mine called happy and sad time. Because we're so happy for Stephanie, but Father, we're so sad that she has to be gone. I pray You help my brother, Father. Help my brother, Father. Help our brother, Father, and our sister, and our brother who are here. Father, I pray for, for Chrissy. What a terrible, terrible week she's had. And I told her, I said, you know, you're being crushed like Smyrna. I know something sweet's going to come out of this. I, Father, I pray for the, as she's crushed at the fragrance of myrrh, the fragrance of your Son, the character of your Son will be seen, will grow in both her 
and my brother's family. You sure missed Steph already? Oh God. She's so she's got it so good now. We envy her. I envy her. Father, I think of Janet McBride. I think of others that are sick or trying to recuperate from some surgery and just so many things like that going on. We're an older church now and it's just happening. Father, I pray You just heal where You want to. Heal where we'd like You to. And help us honor You, Father, with the results. Help us wake up, Father. Some of us here are asleep. Help us wake up so that when You come, we're not surprised. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.